Let's get out our Bibles, or if you're using the phone to access the Bible, and let's go to Mark chapter 11, and today we'll read verse 22 through 25. Before we get to the scripture reading, I want to share with you an experience that all of you have had also. Somewhere at one of the fast food restaurants in this city, and I won't name any particular restaurant because I want to be an equal opportunity critic here. At one of these restaurants, sometimes a high school or college student or someone else who does not want to be working there takes your order and they're given a tagline, a line that's supposed to be part of the customer service experience. So they'll mumble out something like this. Welcome to the Burger Shack, where it is my distinct honor and privilege to serve you. And with their facial expression and with their tone of voice, you know it is no pleasure whatsoever for them to serve you your burger or burrito. They simply are just reciting a line a manager told them to use. Totally empty. They wish they were home playing a video game or watching TV or something. You know, it's really possible to say the right words, but to not have meaning behind your words. And this is one of the great challenges we have in a Christian walk. And that is why today I want to talk to you about praying in faith. Not just praying, but praying in faith. And I want to give this disclaimer. Whenever we talk about praying in faith, we have to be careful not to morph into some type of humanistic, man-centered exercise, which wrongly believes if I say the right words at the right time in the right way, I get whatever I want. No, that's kind of a 20th century development and slant on the scripture I don't think God meant. What I'm talking about is, yes, praying a certain way and even in a certain time sequence, not because we have the power to create our reality, that's new age humanism. It's because we know the God who has the power to break through in any situation. And because we know the character of who God is and because we know what God's word has revealed to us, we pray a certain way, not because we're in control, but because he's in control. You see, there's a subtle difference. For some of you, today God's going to open your eyes to a new way to pray that you may never have considered before. For many of you, this is going to be a review of something you've learned before, and God's going to use it to renew faith in your heart. So now we look at the words of Jesus. The words of Jesus in Mark chapter 11, starting with verse 22. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, and of course, he was referring to a specific mountain at this time, the Mount of Olives, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Verse 24, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Chapter 11, verse 25, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, Forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Here's the first 
point I want to make today, and if you're taking notes in the review, you can fill in these blanks. To pray in faith, we have to have words without doubt. Words without doubt. We have a great danger as God's people to seeing these words that are on the screen to your left or to your right and seeing the words, but to not remember the power behind the words. We have a great temptation to recite the creeds and say the phrases that we read, but forget the meaning behind them. We have a temptation even to develop a Christian lexicon where we understand and we develop this certain vocabulary. Well, this, this, this hamburger is good. Praise God for that. Uh, the car hasn't broken down. Hallelujah, glory to Jesus. And we're just using these uh, word fillers. I'm not criticizing you if you do that, if your heart's into it. But if we use it as word feelers and it, it fillers and it, it loses its meaning, then we're not saying those things in faith. The words become empty. And Jesus here is calling us to be people who give words, but don't doubt the words that we give. Look again at verse 23. And we, excuse me, verse 22. He says this. Jesus replied to them, have faith in God. And I assure you that if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Now, in our immaturity, we begin to imagine us having like godlike powers, like superheroes, or like the mythology legends of old, where we could just say, in the name of Jesus, I 65 clear and make it to the highway. Or we could just snap our fingers and say, I want my bank account full and money shows up. But that's not what God is talking about here. In fact, has anyone ever prayed for a mountain to be thrown into the sea? I don't think so. That would cause all kinds of problems. It would cause an ecological disaster. Think about that. If a mountain was uprooted, it would mess up the ecology. It would mess up the environment there. It would cause a tsunami in the ocean. It would be a completely disruptive force. So I believe Jesus here is talking about a metaphor, the mountain is a metaphor in our lives. Now, we have to be a little bit careful because if we make the whole Bible a metaphor, we don't have any power. But there's scriptural evidence of this. You see in your notes, and we won't look at the scripture, Zechariah 4.14 is talking about that specific mountain, the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives, that's where Jesus is going to return, and the mountain will split at that time. That mountain's going to move under his power. But a scripture that's not in your notes, but I want you to write it down, and we'll look at it together. Zechariah 4.7, write that down. Zechariah 4.7. Here it is. Zerubbabel was one of the leaders of God's people. He was a man just like you and I, man, a human being just like you and I. What are you, great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain. This was obviously a metaphor of something that was obstructing the will of God. And the Hebrew rabbis often referred to obstacles to the will of God as mountains. And the scripture said to Zerubbabel, this mountain before you is going to become a plain. And I want you to know this, as I pray through the name of Jesus against mountains all the time in this church and in my life in this ministry, there are things that are obstructing the progress of God in your life. It's obstructing the will of God 
to come to, for coming to pass into your life. There's mountains that stand before you. And these mountains are things you cannot scale on your own power. You cannot excavate and remove the mountain with your own strength. Only God can cause that pathway that is obstructed before you to become a plane. It's a mountain that's impassable. God can make it a plane. And part of what we do is in the name of Jesus, we speak to these mountains, not because of our power, because we're very powerless. Not because of our holiness, because we're unholy without Jesus. Not because of our morality, because we're always messing that up. But in the name of Jesus, we speak to the mountain and we tell the mountain to move, not because of us, but because of him. Because of his will, because of his purpose, because of what he wants to accomplish. The scripture that gives us so much maturity and perspective on this is 1 John chapter 5, starting with verse 14. Now, this is the confidence we have before him. That's one of the things I want this sermon to create in your life or to reinvigorate in your life, confidence when you pray. Not just weak, anemic, kind of um, half-hearted prayers. Prayers that have hope. Prayers that have faith. Prayers that honor God. And here it is. This is the confidence we have before him. Whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Did y'all see that right there? And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked him for. Now go back to verse 14 again and look at that. Whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That is the verse of maturity. That is the verse of perspective. That keeps us from being these immature people who try to create our own reality by taking a random verse and saying, God has to do this because we said this. No, we pray according to the will of God. And when we pray according to the will of God, what we ask for happens. So you know the will of God by being in the word. You know the will of God by being part of the church community. You know the will of God. This is something that's not popular to say, but it's, I believe this through experience. The longer you walk with God, often we know his will more. So it is. If you want to live in a condo on the West Coast and wake up every morning and just feel the mist of the Pacific Ocean and the smell of it because you could really read your Bible easier, just there on the beach, you can't, in the 78 degrees, you can't say, God, I just declare, I will live on the beach I will live by the Pacific Ocean. In Jesus' name, I command that to happen. Because that may not be God's will for your life. You can't do that. If you're a single man, 21, 22, you can't say in the name of Jesus, I call forth the supermodel <laughs> in my life. I couldn't think of who the popular supermodels are now. <laughs> I got my own supermodel. She's sitting right over there. Whoa, hey. All right. In full disclosure, I totally bombed at the first service. So redemption, part of having two services is you get to redeem yourself after the first service. So praise ye the Lord for two services. But we cannot say, you know, create my reality. God, I, I'm going to create this reality according to my will. No, we pray according to the will of God. And when we know the will of God, we can pray with confidence. 
We can pray in faith because we're about his purposes. We're about his plan. We're about his will. And we don't have to just say, well, uh, I don't know. Should I pray this? And I'm going to pray. Can God do this? Will God do this? Uh, can, Can I actually ask him to come through? No, we pray with confidence because we know when we pray according to his will, it will happen. It will happen. Let me ask you this. How many, let's see, I'm kind of, most of our teenagers come to first service, but let's see, we have some ninth graders here. You have, is Marissa a ninth grader? Are you a sophomore, Marissa? Okay, at least I know, we have a sophomore here. Good. How many sophomores do we have? Okay, I see another, uh, all right, I see three or four, three or four sophomores here. Here's the deal. Let me talk to the sophomores. Tenth graders. I believe, I saw four hands up, evangelistically speaking. There's hands all over this building right now. In every section, from the front to the back, I see hands. But there were four that I saw. (laughs) These four sophomores that raised their hand, I believe they are high school graduates. I do. I believe that because I know their parents, I know their parents are going to make them. (laughs) But beyond that, I believe that because I've seen a pattern in this church. It doesn't happen every time, but the majority of time, high school sophomores get their high school diploma or certificate. And the education system today is set up in such a way that, that our education system and the politicians who help create policy really want people to get a, a secondary certificate. So if it's not a high school diploma, there's a GED If that doesn't work out, there's often night courses. There's courses for adults. I just have a lot of confidence that these sophomores are going to graduate and get some type of of certificate acknowledging graduation. That's the pattern I've seen. That's the environment that I've seen. And so I'm not going to wait. You know, I'm not going to wait for Matthew Gregory to bring me his certificate in three years and to see that diploma. And, and then I, I know. I'm not gonna wait till Elizabeth Jackson is graduating and I'm sitting at her graduation. I see her principal hand her to the diploma and say, okay, now you're a high school graduate because you've proven it to me. No, I'm confident beforehand because of who they are and because of the pattern that I've seen and because of what has likely happened before that they're going to be high school graduates. Now, here's the point. Here's the second point. Praying in faith is belief before evidence. Belief before evidence. Praying in faith is not just praising God when he comes through, even though that's a good thing to do, and that is an appropriate type of praise. Praying in faith is praising God before he comes through. It's believing that God's able to do what he said he's going to do, what his word reveals he wants to do, what he's done in the past. It's believing that's going to happen before we actually see it with our eyes. Look at verse 24 of Mark 11. Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Look at this. Subtle change in the timeline. We are people who praise responsibly because of what he's done, but we're also people who praise him 
and pray actively, not just because of what he's already done in response, but because we believe in what he's going to do. This is praying in faith. Before we can see, before we have evidence, before we know. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, is one of the classic scriptures. And so because of that, I I want to share it in a couple of different versions. The New King James Version says this. You may have heard this before. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is believing God before he comes through, before the prayer is answered, before we know that we know. We know that we know not because of the evidence, but because of the character of God. Hebrews 11.1 in the NIV, it's a little easier for me to understand this way. Now, faith is a confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. And so when we pray in faith, we don't just give empty words and we don't just give words in response to evidence or to facts. We give words in anticipation. And this anticipation does not glorify us as if, oh, we're such good predictors or we're such good Christians that we're able to have this sense of resolve beforehand. That, that again, is giving us the glory. No, this anticipatory praise, this thanks in advance, this prayer in anticipation is not us who gets the glory, it's God who gets the glory. You see, the reason I know these ninth graders, I have confidence that they're going to to graduate is because I've seen a pattern before. I know the system. I know that the likelihood is very high because of who their parents are and the teachers that teach in our county and the atmosphere of our education system. And I've seen uh, sophomore students in this church graduate for the last seven and a half years. And it's happened over and over and over again when they're seniors. I've seen seniors graduate who were once sophomores. You guys are following me. So here it is, that it is with God. My confidence is not because of me. My confidence is not because I'm a great Christian. My confidence is not because I've discovered this trick others don't. My confidence is in the Lord. My confidence is in him. I'm praising him in advance. I'm thanking him in advance because of who he is. And God loves to answer prayers for the lost. Above all things, when you begin to pray for the unsaved people in your family and the unsaved people in your community, God loves to answer those prayers because he came to seek and save the lost. And everything is for his glory. And he loves human beings above all things. He loves humanity above all. He loves the individuals so much that he would leave 99 sheep to go after that one. And he gave us a pattern in the book of Acts. The person who was the least likely ever to be saved, a man named Saul. It was very much like the equivalency of ISIS today. A man who hunted down people who followed Jesus and he sought them out and he murdered them. And he was the most disqualified person to ever receive God's grace. But Jesus encountered Saul and Jesus encountered Saul and he changed his heart and he went ahead and changed his name to Paul. And Paul has explained Jesus more than any other person in the Bible. He and Peter and John, their writings have explained Jesus in a way that we all know him better now. Because he, God loves to save the lost. And he loves it when we pray for the lost. 
And he loves it when we believe for him to do the impossible, to do what can't be done in the natural, to do that, what cannot be done in the rational. That's what our God does. And so we, as people of faith, begin to praise God for the breakthrough before the breakthrough. We, as people of faith, begin to praise God for the healing before the doctor tells us that the prognosis is better. We, as people of faith, begin to praise God before the money, before the check comes in, because provision comes from God. We, as God's people, begin to praise God for the salvation of our children and grandchildren and friends before we physically see them get saved. We, as people of faith, begin to praise God for revival in the church before we see him begin to bring life to dead Christians and to people who are lukewarm in their faith. We, as God's people of of faith, begin to praise God for reconciliation before the family reunites. We, as people of faith, begin to praise God for who he is before we praise God for what he has done. That's what it means to pray in faith. We pray God's will before we see the evidence. Can you help me out and say amen? All right, thank you. One employee of the church said amen. Thank you, Tracy. You know, something that's so important for us is to be in the correct position. A few years ago, I had the privilege of traveling with some colleagues to the country of Turkey where the seven churches of Revelation are in. We toured the churches. We learned about them. I was most amazed by some of the amphitheaters that we visited. These amphitheaters that held thousands of people and with no modern acoustics because these were several thousand years, some before even Christ came. These amphitheaters shocked us and they were incredible. Here's a picture of one right now. This was in Ephesus where the book of Ephesians was written. And if you could try not to look at the model there that came with a stock photo, uh, the, the rest of the picture is pretty amazing. Um, the picture gives it no justice because the depth goes back quite some ways. And it's been about four years or five years since I was there, so I can't remember accurately how many people it sat. I want to say 20,000. I want to say that. But let's say it was 6,000. And we did an exercise where we were at one position down there at the platform, and when you were at a particular position, and you projected your voice, it carried to all different points of that amphitheater. An amazing example of human wisdom, of engineering, and it's a wonder why we can't design better sound systems and acoustically friendly rooms now. Just a little bit of commentary for that. So this was amazing. Here's here's what I wanted you to see about this, is positioning matters. When you're in the right position, You can hear better. Here's the position God wants you to be in that we often overlook. It's the posture of forgiveness. The posture of forgiveness. This is a very underemphasized, this is a part of scripture that we, a principle that we don't talk about nearly enough. When we feel like our prayers that are supposed to go up to heaven are hitting ceilings. There are various reasons. It could be things we've already addressed today. We're not praying with heart behind our words. It could be that we're not anticipating the character of God beforehand, but we're hitting the ceiling. And one of the 
way, reasons we hit a ceiling that we overlook over and over again is this lack of forgiveness. Now, l- let us look at what Jesus said about this. Verse 25 of Mark 11. And when you stand praying, which indicates public prayer, because that was the custom of the day, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your wrongdoing. It's a powerful statement. Jesus attaches this, this forgiveness we receive from him with this community forgiveness we give each other. And we just plain miss this connection. In the Lord's Prayer, which we pray frequently, in Matthew 6, 12, it says this, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now, I know you've prayed that before, even as a child, but there's power, this connection. Jesus, because you've forgiven us, we forgive others. You might say, well, the people, the person, the system, the group that I need to forgive, they don't deserve forgiveness. Exactly, that's why forgiveness is living out the gospel. Neither did you, neither did I. We don't deserve the forgiveness that Jesus gave us. But receiving his forgiveness gives us the ability to forgive. This is a powerful statement of the gospel. This is more powerful than the words we give. When we're people who live in a posture of forgiveness, we are living out the message of the cross. We're living out the message of the gospel by living in forgiveness. And I know it's hard. And I know that I cannot, as a human being, begin to understand your pain and your challenge and what you're going through. I'm not even going to try. So I just give you God's holy scripture and the Holy Spirit will make it known to you. Now, I don't have time to preach a long message on forgiveness. We've done that before, but I do wanna just reemphasize things we've taught before. Do you know that forgiving someone doesn't mean you need to be in relationship with them? That's something you need to understand. Forgiving, forgiving someone doesn't mean it's healthy or God's will for you to be reconciled with them and for them to be part of your life again. That may not even be God's will. Forgiving means you let them go. You let them go. You're no longer preoccupied with their life, with their future. You're not trying to manipulate revenge. You're not, you're not trying to expose them. You're, you're, you're not trying to cause ill to come to them. You're, you're, you're letting them go. How do you let them go? How do you, how do, you do that? Well, I, I know there's all kinds of practical steps, but let me share with you a scripture that helped me very much. And I was having a very difficult time with forgiveness. And, and I had a pastor share the scripture with me. Romans 12, 19, it says, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. You know what that says to me? That it's, it's up to God to bring justice. It's up to God to pay back. And God can do what God thinks best, when God thinks best, how God thinks best, because he's God and I'm not. What a freedom to say, I'm letting that person go. I'm letting him go. 
I'm letting her go. I'm letting them go. I'm letting that organization go. I'm letting that boss go. I'm letting that former spouse go. But they're, they're, they're the Lord's. They're the Lord's. They're no longer mine to worry about. They're no longer mine to think about over and over and over again. They're the Lord's. They're in the Lord's hands. And, and with that, there's much grace. He is a God of justice. He's a God of justice. And he doesn't even have to prove to us what that justice is. We just have to trust him. It's up to the Lord to do what the Lord wants to do. So it's doubtful that if we're walking in perpetual unforgiveness, that we've truly understood what the gospel has meant to us. Because when we understand what Jesus did for us, erasing a debt we could never repay, washing clean sins that would stain us, forgiving us of things that are not even us. There are mistakes we made. We would be embarrassed for others to know. And he just says, it's over. It's dead at the cross. He took the shame of our sin upon himself. And then he threw our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. Now I know Satan's still active in this world and he's the accuser. And I know people are stupid. Sorry, I know that's a bad word to say, but they are. And they're gonna keep accusing you, bringing up your past and trying to make you think that who you were 10 years ago and 15 years ago and even 15 months ago is who you still are. That's just the accuser. God's forgiven you. God has cleansed you and your sins have been nailed to the cross and it's all about Jesus. He's the one that's done it. And he has set you free. And he has forgiven you a debt you can't repay. And now we are free to forgive those. And we just release them to the Lord. We just release them to the Lord. Again, it it may not change your daily relational dynamics, but it changes your heart. Because some of us, our feet have been stuck. It's like we can't take a step forward. We can't go and make any progress spiritually. We don't know why. And it's because we're stuck in unforgiveness. And the Lord is going to release that over your life today. He is going to release that over your life today. Here's a great scripture to close with. Ephesians 4.32. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. Why? Just as God also forgave you in Christ. Just as Christ also forgave you. As God forgave you in Christ, that's talking about the cross. That's talking about the message of the cross. You see, when we, when we go to the cross and we repent of our sins, we lay everything at the feet of Jesus. We lay our lack of faith. We lay our doubt. We, we lay our misjudgments. We lay our unforgiveness, we lay our sins, and Jesus takes the shame of our sin, and he took it upon himself, upon the cross. The sins of the universe, the sins of the world, the sins of the cosmos, not just the sins that had been committed up to that very year, but the sins of the future world that we're in now. Jesus took it all upon himself. He took it all upon himself. So that's why we worship him. That's why we're free to forgive. You see, I cannot, through human persuasion, convince you to forgive someone. That would just take too long. That would take too much time. In my human frailty, I can't convince you. 
to forgive someone, but I can point to the cross and I can point to our Savior and I can point to our Jesus who says he has taken, he has taken all of the unforgiveness. He has taken all the anger. He has taken all the bitterness and he has taken that upon himself so that you don't have to be the person of vengeance. You can give it to the Lord and the Lord will deal with sin. The Lord will deal with sin. He causes us to be free to love, to pray, to pray in faith, to pray in anticipation of what he's done, and then to pray in the forgiveness of the Lord. Let's stand together. I want to pray with you today. I thank you. The Holy Spirit's just beginning to work. He's beginning to work in our lives right now. I want you to know something, that the power of the scripture is what is changing your life this morning. Not the power of man, not the power of this church, not the power of this preacher, not the power of these musicians. It's the power of scripture. And the Holy Spirit loves you so much. This is what he's doing right now. He's taking some of the words that I've said and he's, he's customizing them to your heart right now. And God is dealing with something with you right now. And I wanna encourage you this. Don't wait for me to call a phrase out. Don't wait for me to uh, propose a hypothetical situation as if you're waiting for me as your answer. The Holy Spirit's dealing with you right now. And it's the love of God. Whatever he's bringing to your mind, whatever he's bringing to your heart, whatever he's putting on your heart, that's the Holy Spirit. He's dealing with you. I want you to hear this. The Holy Spirit's your teacher. The Holy Spirit's your teacher and he will illuminate God's word to you. He's gonna make it life. He's making the word of God life to you right now. He's making it life to you. And he's showing you, some of you, he's showing you some things today. Some of you have been negligent to pray in faith uh, because you somehow thought that God didn't come through for you and you've failed to see that his will is better than your will. His purposes are better than your purposes. And a no with God is better than a yes with us. Because God, when he says no to something, he's saying yes to something better. When God says not now, he's preparing you for a better day. When God says this is not the place, there's a better place. And some of you are grieving because you're not in the place that you thought you should be now. And you fail to see that it's God's love that has closed that door for you because there's a better place. Can you not trust the Lord in that? Can you not trust his promise? Can you not trust his character that God is positioning you in the exact place that you need to be? And that his no is not a bad thing because it's preparing you for his yes. That's what the Lord wants you to know today. And so now because of that, we're not praying in faith. We're not praying with, with faith in our hearts. Our, our prayers are wishy-washy. They're weak. Our prayers have, have no heart behind them. The Lord says that changes today. I want you to begin to be a child again. Begin to ask God for the impossible. Begin to believe God to do something irrational. Begin to believe God to do something that's outside of your expectations. Begin to believe God to do something you haven't seen before. Because when that happens, he gets the glory and you don't get the glory. So it's time to ratchet up our faith. It's time to intensify our belief in God. And it's not because God is, is putting all his expectations on us. It's because we are finally seeing who he is. He is the one. He is the source of our faith. He's the source of our strength. The Lord wants some of you to begin to praise God. Praise God in advance. To not be scared to thank God again. To, to not feel like you're uh, falling into like this type of... Uh, cultural mocking 
of praising God in advance. I think sometimes Satan uses mocking to take something away and we don't want to be identified. Like I don't want to be identified with, with the church lady which, or I don't want to be identified with these crazy Christians. And so we have closed the door to uh, something Jesus told us to do. He says, when you believe, thank God in advance for what he's going to do. And so, so we need to reopen those wells. We need to reopen those pathways. But what I really believe the Lord's dealing with us most of all today is this issue of forgiveness. And the Lord just wants to say it's, it's released today. In Jesus' name, I pray this over you. A release today. I want you to release those people. And we release that person. We release them to the cross. Everything goes back to the cross. A lack of faith, a lack of praise, a lack of forgiveness, it all goes back to Jesus. It goes back to the cross and his work. So we're gonna give chance for the Lord to deal with us today as individuals, as couples, as families. I wanna ask that Pastor Deborah and our prayer team go to that back wall. Pastor Daniel will be back there too. And if you have any kind of prayer request, Pastor Chip and Gayla are there. I, I want you to... If you just really need God to break through, would you be humble enough to go pray with someone today? I'll be down here. I can pray with a couple of people. And, and we won't pray with you long, but we want to pray in faith and believe that God's going to change things from this day forward. He's going to move today. Don't be so prideful that you don't go get prayer. I, I, just, I just sense that, that we, we as upwardly mobile people, we take care of our own needs all the time. We're always taking care of our own needs, solving our own problems. And sometimes we're just too prideful to go get prayer to go to someone who loves us to get prayer. We should not be that way. And then uh, I, I want us to focus on the cross. You don't have to be a member of the church to take communion. Um, you don't have to be a covenant partner, but we do ask that if you're a Christian, uh, you only take communion if you're a Christian, which means you've repented of your sins and you've looked to Christ as your Savior and Lord. So uh, if you take communion today, I won't give further instructions, but examine your heart, repent of sin, do that individually, do that with someone you love, and then I'm going to be back in just a couple of minutes, and I want to do one other thing before we close today to seal what the Holy Spirit's done in our church this day. Let's now go to the Lord. The table of the Lord is open. Our prayer partners are available. Let's seek Him together.